0: Hey, it's Brenda here. I want to tell you about this show we've been listening called The Pulso Podcast. There are a lot of podcasts that cover Latino culture and news, but this is one of the few that we've heard that really get into Latino history. The Pulso Podcast explores untold stories and unheard voices shaping the Latino experience. Did you know that there is an official Spanish version of the Star-Spangled Banner? We learned that the lyrics were translated by a Peruvian immigrant living in New York writing jingles. It is eye-opening to hear stories about how we've contributed to U.S. history. You'll also hear from descendants of the first Latinos, the latest Latino star to join the cast of The Simpsons, the chef giving new life to the flour tortilla, and all this told by a team of Latinos from around the country who are unpacking what Latinidad means to them. You can listen to the PULSO podcast spelled P-U-L-S-O on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This week on Tamarindo, we reflect on Dia de los Muertos, talk about unique ways folks celebrate the holidays, and leave you with a calma practice you can use ahead of those difficult moments with family. We also speak to Mariah Castaneda, the host of a hit new podcast, Smokescreen, The Sellout. Welcome to...
1: Hello, folks. How's it going?
0: Going well. But today, we are so excited. We are going to talk to Mariah Castaneda. She is the host of the new hit podcast, Smokescreen, The Sellout. This is a podcast by Smokescreen in collaboration with grassroots media organization, LA Taco, of which I am a member, which I love their work. And it's an investigative series about corruption, gentrification, and the city council member that sold out his community in favor of big developers. So... That's what's coming up. But before we do that, Ana Sheila, ¿qué pasa contigo? What is new with you? ¿Qué pasa, Ana Sheila? I
1: just came back from Michoacán where we visited to take part in the Dia de los Muertos celebration. That's awesome.
0: I saw, I mean, folks that follow us on Instagram probably saw your super amazing. Beautiful makeup the Dia de los Muertos. How was the experience?
1: Yeah, so we dressed up as catrinas and oh my god, people should have been we could have started we could have charged that charged for that cuz everyone wanted to take pictures. We felt like we were part of the 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 community attraction. No, but um visiting Michoacan, which is it's known for their celebrations was was really beautiful. It definitely felt like a big uh, like a big party. Um the visiting the panteones was was really powerful, really beautiful. Panteones um, cemeteries, for, for those that don't know, um, really beautiful. But it, I did I did feel como a little sad. It felt a little bit weird to be walking around the panteones and not having como our own loved ones to celebrate. So I did sort of feel when I was there it was very beautiful. I felt very touched, and I definitely was thinking about my family. But I did wish. That I was with my own family, my living family, to to sort of commemorate our loved ones, and I wished I had a little space to to honor my family. But it was still it was still really beautiful. Que mas? Um, you know, we went to all around to all these pueblos, which was really was was really cute to be doing like pueblo pueblo life. But and I was reflecting on how I definitely felt more comfortable moving around in pueblos in Mexico. Than in pueblos in in the U.S. and you know even though we still I still stand out and you know people still people know who's not from there right We're, regardless of what pueblo you're in. But I definitely still felt more, much more comfortable in a pueblo in Mexico than I have walking around in, in pueblos in the U.S. for sure.
0: What kind of pueblos in the U.S. are you walking around in? <laughs> with like what's an example of a pueblo that felt uncomfortable? I'm curious.
1: Like some like Central of Ameri- Central American, <laughs> some like cent- like just when you like stopped in the pit stop on the way to somewhere in the middle of nowhere.
0: Yeah, like on the five freeway driving up north. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's because the U.S. Pueblos don't have any of the charm that the Pueblos in Mexico have. Well, that's what a beautiful experience. I'm so glad that you got to do that. I can tell you what que pasa with me, I, I guess, to keep it kind of in theme. And I know that by the time listeners are hearing this, it's a little after that. But I did really enjoy putting together un altar for my family. So I it's such a beautiful celebration. And... Again, because it's we're talking about it now, I will bring up, too, that, uh, as folks might know, that one of the things that I do, I have 10 million jobs, but one of the 10 million jobs that I do is teaching students at Cal State Fullerton, and I had students read a couple of articles about Dia de los Muertos. One was about the Dia de los Muertos Barbie, and another one was a piece by Daniel Hernandez, who we love, at the LA Times, who wrote about the artist, really, that could be credited for making the the, the holiday as Popular, I suppose, as wonderful in L.A., starting with Self-Help Graphic, which is a, a nonprofit organization in East L.A. Anyways, I had the students read the two articles and I had them think critically and form their own opinion about whether or not the holiday has been commercialized too much or whether... Whether it's instead an opportunity to call people in and have, and I had them reflect, and they're much younger than us, right? They're in the, they're they're twenty years younger than me, and it was interesting because most of them really kind of thought it was more of a positive, and that they they felt that they're at least in California, in Southern California, there's efforts to make folks understand the meaning, and that people celebrate it in a respectful way, and it and they they celebrate it, they feel it's a it's a good thing that more people are aware of the holiday, so. I thought that was interesting. Have you formed an opinion on Dia de los Muertos?
1: Yeah, so I I generally agree with with that sentiment. I think there's definitely a little bit of sadness anytime that you lose the the purity of like a, a tradition. But it's just hard to to avoid that, really. And and you know, and really, even like Dia de los Muertos originally was only celebrated in certain communities, right? Like even when I was a really young girl, that wasn't a tradition that I grew up with. And also I hadn't experienced as much loss. Um, but you know, I think that just always that happens with with traditions and there is a, a little bit of sadness, but I agree, agree of, of just like introducing people and calling people in and, and really taking this time to to honor our loved ones is is really powerful. And it's been such a powerful tradition for me that I didn't grow up with. And I have embraced myself as well. But yeah, I mean I'm I'm happy it happens and obviously let's try to keep protecting and and watching that balance of commercialization but but overall I I, I think I agree with that sentiment también.
0: Yes, and the interesting thing is that the, the, you're to the point of purity. I mean the entire holiday is a mashup, right? It's always been a right. mashup. So there really <laughs> right. isn't a, a purity uh, aspect to it. And right. but I I really enjoy the the ritual of putting the altar together. And what mm-hmm. I did for my experience is I played ninety nineteen ninety four music, nineteen ninety four hip hop, which is the year that my brother died. And that was really beautiful and just kinda of going down memory lane and just thinking about him as I was putting the the altar together. So I I yeah. loved the experience and I I hope it's something that I want to keep doing every single year.
1: I think it allows us to combine our grief with joy at the same time. And I think that's really helpful in grieving and in healing. And and even though I didn't get to celebrate with my altar the the day of, of the celebration because I wasn't home, one thing that I did get to do is we actually stopped by Morelia, which is a city in Michoacan, a big city in Michoacan, and that's the last trip that I had with my parents, which was the summer before my my dad passed, that was our last trip. We um, did a little bit of a road trip and we stopped by Morelia. And so I um, I had breakfast in the same Sanborns, which is a chain, the same Sanborns that I had breakfast with my mom and dad on that trip overseeing the the town square. And it was really emotional and special for me and, and and in that way I felt like even though I wasn't with my Altar I was I was honoring that the trips that we took because we took so many beautiful trips together and remembering those trips is what allows me to 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 keep finding joy in, in the grief
0: Beautiful. I have so many memories of Sanborns because those are such easy and convenient places to meet with families. (laughs) It ends up being a memorable space. Okay. well, now we've we've checked in. We are going to talk about basura. So I'm going to start with my basura and then I will ask you your basura, Ana Shayla. So for me, we're going to try to start with basuras today, because really, when you're when you all hear a little bit more about this, this podcast smokes screen, the sellout. It is about the basura that is Jose Huizar, which is a city council member here in in Los Angeles who is now under federal investigation. But uh, so talking about taking out la basura right now, what I want to put in la basura is Moms for Liberty, whose mission is, quote, dedicated to fighting for the survival of America by unifying, educating and empowering parents to defend their parental rights at all levels of government. So that's some euphemism for white supremacy. According to CBS, according to a CBS news article that we will reference in our show notes, Mom for Liberty, quote, is part of a growing culture war over the teaching of race and racism in America. That same article points out that there is no evidence that critical race theory is taught in K through 12 schools. In this group, that's like their favorite thing to attack. There's no critical race theory in schools. And I really want to throw that and sentiment in la basura, and I want to connect it to what we all recently witnessed, which is the Virginia gubernatorial race where Republican Glenn Youngkins defeated Democrat Terry McAuliffe. And this is dangerous because it was a state that went for Biden by a big margin, and it looks like that margin is totally lost and went to the Republican Glenn Youngkins, who really centered his campaign on like, let's protect students, let's not teach them race, blah, 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 the whole sentiment of these moms here, these moms for liberty. And so it's been reported that white women voters made the difference for the Republicans in in Virginia's high-profile gubernatorial race on Tuesday, swinging by double digits towards the GOP and giving the party a potentially winning playbook for future elections. This is also a quote from another article that we will— a credit in the show notes. I think this is very dangerous. And it's let me tell you what my friends and I did in our group text. We are already planning our self-care for November of next year because this is not looking good, y'all. This is not looking good. And I'm worried. So that goes in la basura. So again, what goes in la basura is moms for liberty. They can go straight to the trash.
1: <laughs> que basura. It is concerning. It is scary. It's a lot to reflect on as we think about Steps forward. Totally dangerous.
0: What goes in la basura for you, Anishela?
1: Um, so I think what I'm putting in the basura, so I don't know if if all of y'all are are, are know about this, but the some some let me say some bishops in, in the US have really been spending a lot of time deciding if President Biden should be given communion. Um, President Biden is a practicing Catholic, and um so I just want to put that in basura because like why is this? Why are y'all spending so much time thinking about whether Biden should deserve communion? Like that tells uh, to me that's just telling of uh, one of the many problems with the Catholic Church. If that's what you're spending your time on, when there's a lot of other things that you should be spending t- your time on, including making sure that you know priests that are committing abuse don't keep you know got going higher in the in the ranks. So preventing abuse, like spend your time on that, because ultimately Biden is the president of the United States, not the president of the catholics and he it's his job to represent all of his citizens not to be applying his personal faith to to women and their and what should be a very personal choice so that's what i want to put in la basura
0: Okay, so let's move on to today's guest and amigi of the pod, Mariah Castaneda. Mariah is a Los Angeles reporter who covers local politics, environmental issues, immigrant rights issues, and her work has been featured in LA Taco, the New York Times, Voice of OC, and Fusion, among other places. We love Mariah. She has been a OG supporter of this podcast, has written about us at LA Taco, and we, we just love her and love her support for podcasts, generally. And so it's really wonderful just to see her host this new podcast. We're going to learn all about her work and all about Smokescreen, the sellout.
2: Hi, Mariah. It's so great to have you here on Tamarindo. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
0: It is awesome. It's so great to see your Twitter friends become your whatever this platform is friends. And maybe one day in real life, we'll get to run into each other. But I'm so glad to have you here. And before we dive into the exciting project that we're going to talk about today, I would love people to just know a little bit about you. And one thing that I've been observing as a longtime follower of all your great work is you've been having these awesome conversations with other People like me and you that love podcasts. So tell listeners a little bit about yourself and your affection for podcasts.
2: Yeah. So I'm Raya Castaneda. I'm a writer with LA Taco. I'm also a photographer. I've worked in the political and voting space for a couple of years and I do the LA Taco voting guide um, every election season. And I'm really passionate about accessible information and that's why I love podcasts. I love podcasts because it's so accessible you can just be a busy person, like I think all of us. And you could be like, you know, on a commute and listening to a podcast, you could be in the shower listening to a podcast, you could be working listening to a podcast. And it's not just learning, it's like you get to learn from so many different perspectives. So I get to hear like, so many different perspectives, ways of thinking I never even thought of. And it's a great way to expand your mind. And they're free. And I think the entry point is pretty low so you get to hear from so many different people and it's like the barriers that kept folks from being um, like in other media outlets aren't really as big of an issue in podcasting. I mean they're still there but it's not the same you know. Yeah. Um so yeah, I got into them when I was in college, 100%. and I was commuting like six hours a day. And, you know, I would listen to Snap Judgment, Latino USA, Code Switch. Uh, I also listened to Ryan's Roses on Kiss FM. So I just love getting my news. Oh, and Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and well-produced drama on those long drives.
0: Oh my gosh. Wow, that's a long commute long drive, but it sounds like you, get, you had some great podcasts in your ears. I totally am a fan of all the ones you mentioned. And yes, definitely. I think I did hear a couple of Ryan's Roses here and there. So this conversation that we're having with you, we're going to try something a little bit different. Usually we do these rapid fire questions at the end, but I thought it would be fun to start with these. So the first question that I have for you is what gets your matraca, which is your, your shout out. It could be a person, place, thing. It could be, it doesn't have to be important.
2: Whatever comes to mind, what gets your matraca? So matraca is all the people we spoke to on the show that are really filling in the gaps of local government and advocating for the communities, especially during this global pandemic.
0: Yes, very cool. So matraca to all those people that spent some time getting to speak to you about this important issue. Now, what about basura?
2: What goes in the basura? What are you done with canceling over it? what's going in the basura, what I'm throwing away is trash politicians that claim an identity, capitalize off of it, and then turn around and sell out the same communities that raised them and fed them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep, definitely putting those folks in la basura. Sadly, there's quite a few people in the LA City Council that fit that profile. <laughs> so yes, lots of big, huge basura for all of that. And then you know, you're working with these advocates and hearing their stories, and you're putting politicians in la basura. So, how do you stay grounded? How do you get your calma so that you can continue to do this important re- investigative work that you do?
2: So, what keeps me, what my calma is, where I'm getting that from, is running. Running helps clear my mind, and it helps me get in the zone for a lot of this um, show, and also doing my daily affirmations. Very cool. Is there a
0: favorite affirmation that you think listeners could take something from too?
2: Yeah, I am smart. I have something worth saying. And I have something worth doing. And I have worth and I think everyone should be saying that to themselves every single morning.
0: I love it. That's such a great one. Perfect. Perfect. All right. So now let's hear a little bit about Smokescreen, your podcast that is out that is amazing. Tell us a little bit about the Smokescreen, the sellout. Who is it about? Give us the, the sort of elevator pitch about this show.
2: All right, the elevator pitch. Are you ready? Yes. All right. So it's a tale of betrayal. It's like, you know, like a lot of people don't trust politicians, right? We're skeptical usually. But this is a story about a politician who a lot of people actually trusted and put their faith in. His name is Jose Huizar. He immigrated from Mexico um, to a Latinx neighborhood in LA called Bull Heights. And he eventually became a city council person. People loved this guy and he milked it. He'd, like, show up on a horse in a chato outfit, like, the whole nine yards, super corny. Anyways, what his constituents didn't realize is as their rents were rising, WeSad was selling them out. And he was, like, having breakfast with braceros and, like, mariachis and stuff like this. But, like, while he was making a whole show of hanging out with, like, community members, he would be selling out, like, the community behind closed doors. So this podcast is the story about that betrayal, and it's also about centering the folks that he sold out, because we don't want to just focus on the infamous man. Um, we focus on the people he harmed. So, you know, people like us, you know, people like just regular people who worry about rising rents, who worry about staying in L.A. It's a story about gentrification in one specific place, but I really think the story is relevant to anyone who's living in a part of America that's rapidly pushing out long-time residents in favor of people who can afford ridiculous rents.
0: Yes, definitely, a story that is. Happening throughout the country, so it's great that you're zeroing in on this particular scenario. And I listened to the first episode. You all are in for a treat. You're going to be captivated by this storytelling, and it's it's there's a lot of imagery. And I think you did a really excellent job of sort of centering Mariachi Plaza because, of course, this story starts out in Boyle Heights, which is a very unique community here in Los Angeles. And you you profile you know the the Mariachi life. And I want to know why did you we choose to start the story in this way? Why is Mariachi Plaza and, and mariachis the backdrop of this story on in episode one?
2: Yeah, we emphasized mariachis because they are such an integral and iconic part of LA. And I also felt it would be really cool for folks to meet some mariachis in this podcast, right? Like I think if you're Latino, they're such in, in LA, they're such a important part of our community and important part of our like events, like yeah. So also about four years ago, there was a rent strike in an apartment complex that was home to many mariachis. Uh, they lived near Mariachi Plaza, so they could find work there. Basically, their landlord tried to raise their rent by several hundred dollars. That's wild, right? I couldn't do that. Um, if my landlord was like, hey, my rent's going to be $500 more to mo- next month, I couldn't do that.
0: Many people could not. Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: so these mariachis, they organized, they striked, and it got a lot of media attention. Then they asked their city councilman, Jose Huizad, for help. And he didn't do anything. Mind you, this is the same guy who would often have mariachis performing during his public appearances and events. So it was like he'd have them there to help him show, like, hey, I am this Mexican city council member. But he wasn't really helping the mariachis stay in their homes where they could work and provide for their families.
0: Yeah, and that's really important because... First of all, anybody being asked to pay so much more rent month after month is is life changing. But I think it's really beautiful to center mariachis precisely because mariachis are beautiful as they are, of course, because of the music, but also people that are reliant on sort of gig, you know, like they're gig workers and they, they are some of the most vulnerable people, as we've noticed with something like a global pandemic, people like mariachis that rely on events and our artists are the most vulnerable and i think it really is a great symbol to how the betrayal right a symbol of the betrayal someone that was really kind of harnessing in on that imagery of the mariachi of, of the Me- mexican identity and then selling us all out so i think you all did a really great choice in centering that that imagery for the backdrop of this story Hey Ana Sheila, have you seen all the amazing books on Conto the Press?
1: Yes, all of the books celebrate our culture and highlight Latino leaders. The book Courageous History Makers is so colorful and it's both in Spanish and English. I even learned more about figures like Prudencia Ayala, an indigenous Salvadorian feminist who ran for president of El Salvador in 1930 before women even had the right to vote there.
0: Wait up. Fearless Trailblazers highlights leaders like activist Cesar Chavez, pioneering journalist Ruben Salazar, and scientist and inventor Albert Baez, to name a few. My friends' kids will be getting those books stat. And in Be Bold, Be Brave, we learn more about astronaut, inventor, and pilot Ellen Ochoa and about Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor, one of our faves.
1: Yes, but wait, there's more. Girl, I was laughing while reading How to Fold a Taco. It's such a fun, whimsical book that celebrates the most popular Mexican dish, the taco, and bonus points, the author Naive Reynoso includes her mom's potato taco recipe inside.
0: Ah, love that. And in her newest book, which melted my heart, Courageous Camila, we learn about a little brown girl in Los Angeles who finds her courage through her hardworking mamá.
1: Yes, so to learn more about Con Todo Press, which by the way is 100% Latina owned, follow them on Instagram at Contodo Press and check out all their wonderful books on their website at www.contodopress.com. And great news, if you use our promo code TAMARINDO in all caps on their website, you will get 20% off any of their books.
0: Love that. And to spell Contodo Press, it's C-O-N-T-O-D-O-P-R-E-S-S. So go to contodopress.com. Use that offer code TAMARINDO. Now, Anishayla, give me that taco book. It's mine.
2: So what do you hope this podcast series exposes? Okay, it's going to sound a little cheesy, but I hope it exposes the importance of paying attention to local politics, because the people in city council have a lot of power in shaping what your neighborhood looks like. Also, no man is an island, right? We Weisad got help getting downtown light put into his district, and he also got help getting into this really super powerful committee called the Plum Committee. Once those two things came together, he had the power to pull off some of the crimes he's accused of. And this didn't just come out of the blue, right? Yeah, there's a lot. Like, Besad was sued for sexual harassment back in 2013. It's the smoke that leads to the fire, as, like, my incredible editor, um, Catherine St. Louis, says. He was facing a sexual harassment lawsuit and re-election at the same time. So to settle this suit privately and quietly, he needed a half a million dollars. And guess where he got it from? He got it from a developer friend, a developer of luxury buildings with a half a million dollars to spare. That's wild. And that's who loaned him the money to make it all go away. And a lot of people say that was really the beginning of the end of his career. Like it set things in motion. In a way, he's kind of like a Latino Trump. He's like did all this lying, sexual harassment and corruption. So with all that being said, I know folks are busy and it can seem really intimidating to keep up with their city council members, but there are reporters and there are local activists and watchdogs that make it easier to keep up with them.
0: Yeah, and that really underscores the work of local journalists and local reporters like you. I think it's it's so important because this is how stuff like this gets to happen uh, under the radar because there isn't enough local eyeballs. So getting involved is is an important step for us to prevent other WISARs from developing. And I use developing intentionally because okay. he relied so much on developers. And I, I'll have to share with you that I used to live in downtown LA. I used to live in his district. And I remember there was like the night on Broadway. And to me, it just already was a really uncomfortable activity. Broadway gets shut down and it's super fun, but it's like, Jose Weizar's night on Broadway. Jose Weizar's night on-. It was such like obnoxious branding. It, it looked like signs of somebody that's up to no good. And and obviously he was up to no good. Now, what message do you have for political leaders? What should they be learning from Weezar? What should they be learning from this podcast?
2: Yeah. So before I answer that question, I'm so glad you you mentioned that on Broadway. I was going to talk about that too. Okay. Yeah. So for political leaders, don't sexually harass people, period. I mean, that goes for everybody, but truly, what we said was accused of was incredibly disturbing. I feel like it sounds kind of like mom wisdom, but if you treat people right, then you won't be looking for bribe money to settle lawsuits, right? You have to have good character because otherwise you're vulnerable to corruption. Uh, because of this, District 14 was essentially left without political representation in city council during a global pandemic when a lot of people were losing their jobs and their loved ones.
0: What is the message for community members? I mean, I think you talked to some incredible people that were paying attention, but what can other community members learn from this podcast? What's the the take that they can get from this?
2: Yeah, I think the big takeaway for them is that it's obvious, like, I think for community members, you cannot trust your elected officials. Even if they say, I'm like you, I'm one of you, right? Um, We need to keep up with them. Jose we said was in office for like 15 years, even with his sexual harassment lawsuit. I think the other thing I learned was truly how much power people have in advocating for each other, whether it's joining a tenants union, keeping track of city council, you know, organizing and forming, and you know, even like helping run a, a food pantry. Um, there's so much you can do outside of government.
0: Yeah, I think there's some great inspiration that folks will hear when they continue to listen to this series of just some of the ways that that people were able to hold some power. And and though I think you have an important message that we shouldn't take politicians and leaders at their word. And many of them do deliver. Right. It's it's not a a a a. a slate, the, uh, painting all of them with the same brush, right? There are many leaders that do deliver, but it, it is part of our job as informed citizens to pay attention and to hold people accountable and to not reelect them. You know, like really, let's see the receipts, right? Let's see the receipts and did you deliver? And that should be what helps you understand whether or not you should be voting for someone or not. Now, I want to know uh, you. what surprised you? I think there was a, a, lot, of, a lot of the mistakes and and crimes that we saw committed have now been exposed, and I think you had the opportunity to dig a little deeper. So what surprised you the most as you were doing this work?
2: Oh man, where do I even begin? First of all, his story was very compelling to me. He was from Zacatecas, and he came here when he was three. And he became the first Mexican, not Chicano, the first Mexican city council member. And that was huge for people. This guy would literally kick it with braceros and have breakfast with them while turning downtown LA into a place that's like unaffordable for folks who live there. He would straight up hang out at a children's banda and talk to their parents and he made people feel seen. Um, He had this whole bringing back Broadway thing, which you talked about and I'm so glad you did. And he was like, I'm bringing back Broadway. So Broadway was once thriving with a lot of immigrant businesses, but by this point, Due to the recession and other issues, it wasn't as vibrant anymore. But we said its vision of Broadway didn't seem to include bringing back those immigrant businesses. It was like bringing in those types of copy and paste type places. Like the kind of places that you see in downtowns all over the United States. With like, you know, an an umami burgers and urban outfitters. Like it was just this really blatant whitewashing.
0: Very true. And I think a really great symbol of this is... Uh, the Grand Central Market. Because I remember as a child, when there weren't as many Mexican places to buy all the groceries and all the things that you would need, my parents would do this like pilgrimage to Grand Central Market. And you could rely on many, many vendors that would be selling you goods from Mexico. And if you go to Grand Central Market now, there's maybe one or two of those vendors that have survived. But really what you see is a lot of these I think the, the perfect example of like the what not to do, there's actually a vendor there that sells peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for like 10 bucks. So <laughs> this is this is a what could happen when you have a city council member just bending over backwards for developers, but not for the people that he tries to sell to believe in him. And maybe and maybe he didn't start out this way, but certainly he ended up this way. So where can folks find this podcast so that they could join along
2: with you to uncover the rest of this story? Yeah so you can follow me at Papaya the Mariah on Twitter and LA Taco and Neonha Media. Uh Neonha Media and LA Taco came together to make the story and yeah it took a whole year to make it.
0: This is so awesome. I'm so excited for you to get, be able to like see your work out, out and released. I know that we're recording a little bit earlier than when this is coming out, but I know today was a in real life. Today, October 20th, was a very special day because the trailer just came out. And so I'm just so grateful that you've spent some time here on Tamarindo and that folks will be able to listen to this podcast. And you all definitely have to follow Mariah because she is hilarious on Twitter and all the different places that you can find her voice. And she's behind a lot of great projects. So
2: thank you so much, Mariah, for spending some time with us today. Thank you so much, Brenda. It's been amazing. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, it was such a treat to have Mariah Castaneda on. I can't wait for all of you to keep listening to her fantastic podcast. So Anishela, we're approaching the holidays and we've asked our tamarindo amigis some of the unique ways that they celebrate. And here is what they said. So first, we've got Jacob from Twitter, Jacob M on Twitter, and he shared that his nuclear family celebrates on the solstice so that they have time for all the other family obligations. It sure does get busy during the holidays. So I love that strategy.
1: Yeah. And we also have a Spooky Tales on Twitter that shares that for Thanksgiving, we grew up having chiles rellenos, mole, arroz, and pupusas, and they continue to skip the traditional Thanksgiving <laughs> meals.
0: I uh, love it. Invítame, por favor. Especially for the pupusas. I, I love pupusas. They're very good. All right. So we've got Karen Gonzalez on, on, on Instagram, this is what she says. We make tamales and eat them together. And she adds, not to be biased or anything, but Guatemalan tamales are the best. OK, well, you know, I haven't tried <laughs> Guatemalan tamales, so she could be right. I need to verify this and I'm, I'm totally happy to verify this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. So we also have Grey Lux on IG who says, my family does a Puerto Rican dinner around Thanksgiving and at New Year's. They eat pernil, pasteles, arroz con pollo, coquito, and arroz con dulce. That sounds delicious. So, Brenda, how, does, how about you? I...
0: <laughs> um I yeah, I'm especially excited about arroz con dulce. I haven't had that, but that already sounds so good. I've definitely had coquito. So, Puerto Rican friends, please mail me some arroz con dulce <laughs> or invite me over because all of that sounds fantastic. I'm so excited uh because we just spent some time doing marometas on all the websites to find the most affordable flights to Mexico. If you are thinking of traveling to Mexico on the holidays, listeners, get on it because the the flights are expensive. Expensive. The flights are expensive. We literally dropped a thousand dollars on 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 our Christmas and holiday travels. But I'm super excited this year. We're going to go to Oaxaca. I have family that lives on the, the coast of Oaxaca. So we're going to get to experience where they live. This particular cousin of mine, uh, from my from my understanding, I think they're farmers like they straight up build their their house out of with their own hands. <laughs> they literally built their house over the course of several years. So we're going to see how they live. I think they have c- cows and stuff. So that'll be really interesting. So that's first, then going to to Mexico City and then going to Puebla. I'm I'm really excited to do all that travel. But before we do all that, both my parents and Jeff's parents were all going together to San Felipe for Thanksgiving, which I I I now appreciate going to San Felipe. It's really far, but I appreciate it. If we could swing by Valle de Guadalupe and Ensenada and do a little bit of wine tasting, then I can tolerate the journey. So those are my holiday plans. What are you, what do you have in store? Have you decided yet, Ana Sheila?
1: I haven't really totally decided. We are going to go visit my mom's family in, in and my mom and my brother in, in Phoenix, Arizona uh, later this month, but I don't have any Christmas f- plans yet. So, a ver, we're not totally sure. Um, Yeah. Well, I have a quick question for you, though. Do you feel like the what you've been what you eat at the holidays has changed? So, you know, one of the listeners said that they still eat, um, you know, uh, what did they say? Chile rellenos, mole arroz for Thanksgiving. I'm curious if you for Thanksgiving, if you eat um, American Thanksgiving food or if you've seen if that's changed or if it's a combination. Well,
0: we usually do American for Thanksgiving. We definitely even my mom, if she if she hosts, she does the whole thing. Very American. But for the holidays, what we do, because I know a lot of folks do tamales, we don't do tamales For, for Christmas. We typically do bacalao which is this fish dish. So we do bacalao, we pr- might have a ham, typically. My mom makes these fantastic chipotles that she fills with cheese and then fries. Those are amazing. So, and, though, though, and I think she does some other thing with chipotles where they're sort of like in like this, I don't know if they're pickled or they're like in honey. I've never tried those, they, they, they smell too strong for me. I guess I should give them a try. But these are the sorts of things that we do for, for, for Christmas, typically. What about you, what, how, what do you cook for Christmas?
1: So for Thanksgiving, it's funny because we noticed the longer that we, we first started making tamales for Thanksgiving and then the longer that we were here in the U.S., then we started to do more of the American food. And I don't really actually like turkey very much, but <laughs> um, for Christmas, we, do, we generally do tamales um, Arroz, frijoles. I mean, tamales is the, is the, is the main thing. And it, and it hasn't been the same ever since my grandma passed because her tamales. You know, it's like your abuelitas tamales are the best tamales and there's no tamales that will ever. Not my
0: abuelita. None of my abuelitas made tamales. <laughs> they made
1: all, all kinds right. of most, stuff and most tamales. Most people's abuelitas. <laughs> um, but yeah, generally tamales... Um, Sometimes chiles rellenos también. Oh, ponche. Ponche is my favorite thing. My mom makes delicious ponche. Do you drink ponche for Christmas? Yes, yes, yes. We definitely
0: do ponche. We definitely do ponche. Yes. And you know what? You know, I'll have to share one of my one of the wonderful traditions of the holidays. Typically, my parents are good friends with this other couple who I, I adore. I kind of think of them as my aunt and uncle, even though they're not blood-related. They're called Pedro y Cris. And um, Cris is American, and she went to go study abroad in Puebla when she was young and she fell in love with Pedro, and they got married. And so she speaks perfect Spanish because she lived in Puebla for 12 years, and both of her kids were born there. Then they came to the U.S. And so I, I love them because she, she really loved Mexican culture. And so every year she hosts a posada. So... It, and it's, uh, you know, you know, it's just it's like her, her white family and white friends, plus uh, her Mexican family and friends. And it's just this wonderful coming together of people to do this, this very traditional thing, the, the posada. And Pedro is a musician. It's such a beautiful experience. And that's one of my fondest memories of the holidays is this this mashup posada, this American and Mexican posada that happens every single I year. I love that. That's what I it love came posadas. To mind. It's such a beautiful thing yeah yeah i mean i guess i'll I'll share one more thing when we lived in downtown la we had this group of friends wonderful group of friends and we did a posada going to every single building (laughs) all over downtown la that was super fun so i love the way that we can kind of evolve and, and and shape the holiday so if listeners if you've got some other cool stories and unique ways that you are celebrating we would love to hear it we'd love for you to share it so reach out to us
1: yes to close out this episode, we want to leave you with some matracas and some calma. Brenda, what gets your matraca today?
0: Well, you know this is really super cheesy, but I'm going to give my matraca to my dog, my dog Frida. My dog gives me so much joy. If you all have a dog, it, it's just the best thing in the whole wide world. She has a full on personality. She talks to me. You know, she tells me. She now that it's funny because I think dogs have stages, and I think she's at a stage now where she tells me where we're walking. Like she literally will be stubborn and and decides where we're going to walk. She's about seven years old, such a sweet, sweet dog. And you know what? She gets a matraca because she's perfect.
1: What about you, Anishela? What is your matraca? So I want to give a matraka to Michelle Wu, who was just recently elected as the first mayor of Boston. And you may be surprised to know, or you may not be surprised, that she is the city's first woman and first person of color elected to the post in 199 years that they've been electing mayors. So I time. think she's a bright <laughs> a bright spot in some of the election news that, that we've been getting recently. So I didn't know much about her before, but she seems to be very smart. And what I've read about her, I really support and I'm um, really loving so far, so Matraka to Michelle Wu.
0: Woo, woo. (laughs) Yes, it's very good to have at least some good news. It wasn't all dire in terms of the the elections that just happened. There were some bright spots, and that's certainly one of them. So thank you so much for reminding us. It's not all dire. There's still hope. In fact, maybe that's a lesson. Maybe we ought to be putting forward progressive women of color in our tickets, and perhaps we will have better luck. Bueno, (laughs) and how do you get your calma, Ana Sheila? What are the ways that you're staying grounded?
1: Yeah. So for my karma today, I want to give a meditation practice that I've been using a lot. You've heard me use it in some of our workshops, Brenda. So this is a good little meditation that y'all can do if you're really stressed or overwhelmed. It's super quick. It takes about three minutes. So it just starts with slowing down your breath, starting to take longer breaths. So counting to five or six as you inhale holding for five or six, and then exhaling for the same amount. So starting by slowing down your breath and paying attention to it, and then switching into, as you inhale, thinking about the things that you want to invite more of. So what do you want to invite more of? Maybe it's gratitude, maybe it's some compassion for yourself and what's been going on with you that day. So as you inhale, what do you want to invite more of? And then as you exhale, what do you want to let go of? Pendejadas, we love to say that. And then lastly, Take a few more breaths like that and then switching over into your body, paying attention to your body. Um, Maybe you're feeling tension in your shoulders or in your neck. So just letting your body tell you what it wants to do, maybe doing neck um, uh, shoulder rolls, moving your head from side to side, stretching. So just so first paying attention to your breath, slowing it down, then thinking about what you want to invite and let go And then lastly, paying attention to your body and doing a little bit of stretching. Um, And you can do that super quick. It could be super helpful if you're stressed or overwhelmed. So just a quick little meditation practice for y'all.
0: That's wonderful and I think folks you can take this practice right before you do your holiday travels, right before you engage with those family members that kind of stress you out, and <laughs> right before you engage in political conversations right at the at the dinner table in the holidays. This is a wonderful calma practice to kind of get your get your head in the right space for those difficult situations that we sometimes can't avoid. Thank you for yes. reminding us of that wonderful practice Ana Sheila. That is a great calma.
1: Yes, how about you Brenda?
0: The way that I'm getting my calma right now is through the group fitness program that we started. We have this great group of women we're meeting on Mondays and Wednesdays at the park and it's going so great. I love it. I've even had some folks request one-on-one coaching, which I'm still figuring out if that's something that makes sense for me right now. But I'm just enjoying the fact that there's a group of us getting up early and doing these exercises. It's just been a whole lot of joy. So with that, I want to let everybody know that a way that you can give us Calma is if you could kick over a little donation. We appreciate any contribution, big or small. You can give us $5. You can give us $10. You can give us a hundred dollars. We we will take it all. And we would really, really appreciate it because as we've shared countless times, it's a lot of work to get these uh, episodes out to all your ears. And we super appreciate your support.
1: Yes. And we just want to wish you the best as the holidays are are upon us, just reminding you that you get to design whatever traditions you want, whatever feels good to you. I know me and my family actually stopped doing like full on like Christmas gifts um, a few years ago. And that was actually really nice. And and just focusing on our connection. and, um, And also you don't have to answer questions that you don't want to. So just remembering that you get to decide what questions you want to answer, what boundaries you want to set and make the holidays, whatever you want them to be, not what other people want them to be for you.
0: Exactly, exactly. All right, until the next time, everybody, ponte un sweater.
1: See y'all. Besos, abrazos. Tamarindo Podcast is Brenda Gonzalez and Ana Sheila Victorino. Our producers are Mitzi Hernandez and Augusto Martinez of Sonoro Media. Our theme song is by Jeff Ricards. If you
0: want to support our work, please rate and review Tamarindo Podcast on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with a friend. Get in touch with us at tamarindopodcast.com.